Growing up, Kay Kerr felt like she needed to study how neurotypical people did love because as someone with autism, a lot of it just didn't really quite make sense to her. She became a bit of an expert uh, and love in all its awkwardness and hope, obsessing over it in her writing. After penning two uh, romantic young adult novels, Kay's now turning her eye to the true stories of all the different and beautiful ways that autistic people, including herself, embrace and celebrate love. In her book, Love and Autism. Kay joins me now. Kay, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Look, love is a pet topic for you. Um, you've come back to it again and again. What's driven your curiosity about that many splendid thing? Yeah, I think love is a really interesting way to look at both communication and relationships more broadly. So um, when I say love, you know, I'm talking about friendships and family relationships and romantic love and all types of love. And I think um, you know, as an autistic person moving through the world, so much of the feedback that you get um, socially in social situations is that you're you're getting things wrong. So I think studying love and, and being obsessed with love, especially as a younger person, like rom-coms and love stories and that kind of thing, was a way of studying um, those relationships and what made them work and what made them did what made them not work as well. And so what were some of those early, you know, feeling like you were getting it wrong? That would have been so difficult as a as an early teen, kind of navigating romance, getting dipping your toe into that world, because it can be a complicated dance of courting and unsaid things. Um, how did that square with you? How did you manage it? I just was completely oblivious to, um, I guess, people assume that subtext, like things like flirting and those kinds of things is a universal experience, whereas that's that subtext is often created by neurotypical people and, and just not there at all for autistic people. So for me, it was like things like not realising if somebody had a crush on me until, you know, their face was coming towards my face um, and then realising it, but also wanting to fit into those narratives, like wanting to be the person that somebody has a crush on, so therefore not necessarily questioning whether I had feelings back for that person, those kinds of things. So um, it's only with hindsight and being an adult um, and getting my diagnosis as an adult and looking back on those sort of awkward teen experiences that I've got this new lens to look at them and understand them and realise why I was, you know, tripping up so much and having such a hard time understanding what seemed to come more naturally to other people. Yeah, I, I can imagine it was quite illuminating. Um, did, was there ever a point where you uh, entered a romantic relationship with another autistic person? Like, did that, would something like that maybe have highlighted even more those differences? Well, the funny thing is, I think, and autistic people, I'm sure, attest to this, but um, neurodivergent people tend to find each other. So mm. I think a lot of the relationships in my life now um, that have lasted the distance and um, that are quite close and connected and strong are with other neurodivergent people, whether they're aware of that or, you know, whether they're coming to understand that in later years as well. So it's just a natural sort of, you know, being drawn to people who communicate like you, um, who, who move through the world in a similar way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've been um, sort of getting into this perspective through your young adult writing for a couple of years, um, especially like post, you know, being diagnosed while you were going through this process, was it important to you to really show the world or write from that neurodivergent perspective and give people a sense of um, what the awkwardness and hope of love is like from that perspective? 
Yeah, it was really important to me because I think while I went into wanting to write, you know, rom-com for teenagers with an autistic protagonist, that was really from loving those stories myself. But as I was writing and unpacking, you know, my past experiences and looking at it um, through this other lens, I realized that I was coming across a lot of red flags that I hadn't picked up on at the time. So then it became Mm. this important thing for me to write for young people. And I just, you know, I just had an email a couple of days ago from a young autistic girl who's saying, I loved reading that book because it gave me some ideas of what to look out for in terms of, you know, red flags or, or things that people might do that I wouldn't necessarily pick up on as being sort of red flags or, or you know, difficulties in, in dating. So that's kind of what it turned into as I sort of explored those themes through the work. Yeah. I mean, I, I read your last book, uh, Social Cue, um, the one that you're sort of talking about, and certainly um, has a lot of those those moments of, of what it's like from that perspective. Um, you know, people with autism can can be pretty straightforward, um, you know, not always, but can have a tendency yep. to do, not really dealing with layered speak, um, unless yep. they're sort of doing it as a way of masking. But I think there are some really um, vital lessons that neurotypical people could take from that approach to autistic love do you do you think that's right yeah absolutely one of the relationships um that I explore in the book love and autism we talked about that a lot in the interview process where you know it was a relationship where they started dating in their teens and it I won't you know sort of spoil the book but it's um over the years looking at their their time together and they were saying you know other people our peers at the time there seemed to be a lot of you know mind reading that they were expecting from their partner whereas we communicate directly and that means if there's a problem then we say this is a problem and then we sort it out together and I just to me that makes so much more sense than you know the not talking or the subtle hints or the why didn't they pick up on that kind of stuff that can go on otherwise so I found that yeah a really interesting topic to get into and I think that's the whole thing around communication and autism for me is autistic people put in so much effort learning you know, how best to communicate with neurotypical people, adjusting their style as they get sort of feedback. And a lot of the time it's negative feedback. Um, Mm. But I think that non-autistic people need to put in, you know, just as much effort into learning the communication styles of the autistic people in their lives because that's, you know, a way to show them love. In the book, you um, sort of uh, you refer to this uh, joke tweet: um, the five neurodivergent love languages. I've actually seen this one on my feed before as well, so I loved <laughs> the shout out. Um, you know, it's very funny because you make the argument that these ideas have a bit of actual currency for interpreting autistic expressions of love. So, could you just describe them and and how they can help everyone understand the way neurodivergent people love? Yeah, and I love this because I think so often you know, something that an autistic person will throw out on social media or in conversation as a little bit of a joke or or in a lighthearted way absolutely hits the nail on the head in terms of the autistic or the neurodivergent experience so much more than all of that medical deficit language does. So um, the five neurodivergent love love languages, sorry, being info dumping, which is like sharing a lot of information in one go about, you know, your special interest, Um, parallel play, which is being together but doing your own thing so often for um people that might be you know both being in the same room sharing that space but being on the laptops or doing something um on their own Uh, support swapping which is really big in my sort of neurodivergent friendship group is like texting and checking in that we're drinking water and you know eating regularly or like um someone's you know stressed about 
their housework and that getting on top of them, that kind of thing. So just keeping an eye on each other and swapping support is really important. Um, Please crush my soul back into my body, which is just about (laughs) physical pressure. (laughs) Um, Touch, great. That's not not that different, I was about to say, from the um, physical touch being one of the love languages. Um, And I found this cool rock or button, like sharing something cool that you found. And I think so often – I see this where it's like, for example, say the grandparent-grandchild relationship and the grandchild is autistic, say, and so the grandparent really wants a hug and then all the sort of focus becomes on hug grandma, I want a hug, you know, that sort of pressure to hug and like that's not necessarily how that young autistic child is going to show their love. They might want to show their love by showing you their rock collection that they've been working on or you know, whatever little collectible toy that they've, you you know, that they're in love with. And I think if the focus is on trying to make that autistic child hug the grandparent, then that's not about how they want to show love. And if the grandparent sort of connects and looks at the collection and shows interest in what they're passionate about, that's such, to me, such a more dynamic, important display of love. Yeah, it's a really good thing to to know and keep front of mind. Um, just quickly to finish, you, you made a point that this book is about, you know, you don't want it to be about the deficit that commentators usually focus on when it comes to what autistic people lack in love, but you want to make it a celebration, a positive. So what is it about the experience of love with autism that you most want to celebrate? I think that the autistic people that I've interviewed and the autistic people in my life are just incredibly beautiful, sensitive, creative um, people, loyal in their relationships, showing up for people in the ways that they can, when they can. Um, And I think it's, you know, it's brave and it's vulnerable and it's um, going against the grain, which is always tricky. But I think there's so much to celebrate um, around autistic people and and their relationships of all kinds, you know, love, in all its forms. And I think self-love was something that I wanted to really finish on at the end of the book as well, because when you do grow up um, with that deficit sort of language that you're talking about, um, it's really easy to internalise that and to to feel that. So I think self-love and self-acceptance was something that I really wanted to, to focus on towards the end of the book as well. Yeah. And there's plenty of that in your gorgeous new book, Love and Autism, Kay Kerr. Thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.